Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Tune in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast. David, Nikki, Nellis on uh, a post-snowy day here in D.C. We survived. We all survived. We just sat around drinking and sitting in front of the they fire. They called it, it nice. snow low, snow low oh, because of the uh, furlough or snur low, snur low or snow low. Oh, with hashtag, hashtag Snurlow because of the snow okay. and the furlough. I think get it's it? stupid. Okay, you can think whatever you want, but you're not on social media, <laughs> All right, so you so wouldn't get it. <laughs> we have got a really interesting show today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how many people know, although you should, that there is, um, there's a, Guinness has, has come to the U.S. Uh, the Guinness Open Gate Brewery and Barrel House in Baltimore is a brewery, it's a restaurant, it's a museum, it's mm-hmm. a tap room. There's a lot going on. It's out a there. hospital. It's right. your, wheel, your tires change. Right. Um, it's an amazing place, and uh, we've got a couple of folks from Guinness in here. Ryan Wagner is a Guinness Brewery ambassador. I, mean, I don't think you should say we have a couple of people. We have like two very major people we've got here the, the from head, Guinness. The, the honchos. Yes. The big deals. The big cheeses. Um, Ryan Wagner and Holly Stevenson, who's the head brewer, and we're going to talk all about it. So first of all, welcome. Thank Hi you. guys! To the world's, the world's greatest radio show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we did it. We got we here. You were we here, <laughs> right? It. You could take your bow and, and leave after that. Thank you for the checks. That yes. helped. helped um, so before we break into Guinness and get into your history and learn all about the two of you, you already poured some. So why don't we start with that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we have a couple here, um, and I will let I will let Holly talk about her beer. This is Guinness Blonde. Yeah. So this the first one is is kind of how we. Uh, the, the start of how we ended up in Maryland, really. This was uh, the first American-brewed Guinness beer, um, Guinness Blonde. Mm-hmm. And, you we mean, now- and it's not that dark Guinness stout that you think you saw no. in... So this nice. is Guinness Blonde, and it's, but it's, you say it's the first Guinness beer brewed here, meaning like right now? This, or- this was the first ever beer designed by brewers in Dublin. That was directed solely for an American audience. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So it had been brewed, contract brewed up in Pennsylvania. Uh, we decided we needed brick and mortar, and we decided we want to go a totally new direction with our presence here to be involved in the American craft brewery. Can I scene. tell our audience that we're the first non-Guinness people to ever drink this beer? I mean, you can you can tell them that. Say that's sure, you right? complete bullshit. But anyways, right. alternative it's, facts. But now this is brewed for the nation, 100 percent at our site in Baltimore, and it's very nice. It is. It's beautiful. right up my alley. Well, so let's start from the beginning. Uh, most people know about Guinness, but for those who maybe don't know anything about Guinness... You know what? We- I'll bet they don't know a whole lot about it, except having... Even if they've had a drink. Okay. You know, what's and, the history? And, and to, like, be, to be fair, a lot of people... Are you going to ask a question? No, yeah. I mean, doesn't it go back a bazillion years? Roughly. Yeah. We were founded in the year 35,000 BC. Um, no, it's... And the thing is, a lot of what people are convinced that they know about Guinness, even if they don't know a lot, there are certain things about Guinness that they are convinced that they know. They know and most stout. oftentimes, it's not true. Oh. I spend half my day dispelling myths about Guinness. Um, but yeah, I mean, to give you the, the oh, reader's I feel digest. Like, I feel version. like we should have like had a whole true or false section. It's not too late. It's <laughs> right? not too late. 
Um, um, so tell us the history of Guinness. Yeah, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Uh, 1759 is when Guinness was founded, so we just started our 260th year. Uh, it was founded by a man named Arthur Guinness, and Arthur Guinness, on December 31st, 1759, signed what was probably, and, and still remains today, the, the most famous lease in the history of real estate. Uh, he and the city parents of Dublin decided that for the property at St. James's Gate, where our brewery still stands today in Dublin, mm-hmm. uh, that they would sign a 9,000-year lease. So we are 260 years into Boy, he was an optimist, wasn't he? Wow. <laughs> I, I just think he got a really good deal. It was 40 pounds a, a year, pounds at that point, obviously, because they were still part of the British Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, so we've been brewing beer ever since. Some of the misconceptions, people assume, for the most part, that Guinness is one beer, that we've always been that yeah, pint stout. Right, the iconic pint of nitrogenated stout. That's what, that's what people assume that's all we've ever made. For the first 40 years, we were a brewery from 1759 until about 1798. We were doing what most people in that part of the world were doing at that point. We were making amber ales, pale ales, kind of what you're drinking right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until 1798 that we got into the dark beer game. Uh, and throughout our history, we've always been brewers. We now, not was always, the dark beer made. an invention or was it? were there dark beers and he said... Yeah, that, so the, the challenge with making dark beer at that point in history is that you had to use what was considered a lower quality ingredient. Uh, given the technology of the day, what gives beer its color for the most part is the malt. And if you're making a dark-colored beer, you've got to use a dark-colored malt. You've got to use something that's been roasted. Um, because a lot of the roast was being done using open flame, it ended up tasting kind of like a oh, campfire. Very yeah. smoky, burnt very burnt. burnt. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. It's Starbucks coffee. <laughs> and so what was discovered by an enterprising brewer, I wish we could take credit for it, we can't, was that if you took a beer that you made with that darker malt, put it into a giant wooden vat and matured it for a year or 18 months, that time alone in the wood would kind of soften some of the rough edges. It would, it would mellow the beer out a little bit. Uh, and so a new style of beer was born. Because it was a cheaper ingredient, brewers were able to sell it for less, which meant that the working class in places like Britain and Ireland were drinking the most of it, and they drank so much of it that we named it after them. Now, how do they, I mean, you may not know, because that, wait, wait, wait. it's almost like... Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. You, I teed you up for a trivia you, question You there. didn't hear him. <laughs> I did hear him. So... What do they name the beer? Guinness Stout. No. No, he just said he named there's, it there's after There's a that. style of beer that was named after the working class in places like England that were drinking most of this new style of beer. Mm-hmm. Schlepper? No. Close. <laughs> Close. So what was it? What do you, what's a fancy name for a guy that carries stuff around all day? He's a hot carrier. He's a, he's a porter. A porter. That's what he is. Oh. And that's how now, 40 years later, or several decades later, if you wanted a stronger version of your porter, you asked for a porter that was very stout. Stout. Very stout. And that's now, how stout gets We knew all that. We just wanted to let you say <laughs> right. it. Yeah, just but, sure. but get back to the aging the beer, because, yeah. because that's almost like fermentation. Mm-hmm. I mean, typically when beer's made, it sits in the bottle for a little while, and then you drink it, right? right. I mean, so what was the, 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 you know, the motivation to say, let's just put this away for 18 months and see what happens. Because they found out. No. Wait. Somebody had to figure that out. Yeah, I, I, will, I, will, I will defer to, uh, we have a, uh, a brewmaster sitting right at this very table with us. Come on, Holly. I don't, what I think is the coolest part of, of that story is that, is that Guinness was the probably one of the first black sour beers. So, you know, the Belgians um, forever have been making wild, spontaneously fermented beers mm-hmm. and and Guinness, that's that's how Guinness started. That's the that's the the origin story of Guinness, and I'm I'm excited to actually do that in Baltimore with some beers to kind of recreate the old historic fermentation. So, so but now Guinness is not, well, not now. I know Guinness has lots of beers that they offer, but absolutely. At what point did the myth begin, or why did the myth begin that the stout was 
Guinness beer. I mean, for the, I feel like for the longest time, people thought the stout and Guinness were one and the same. That that was it. Oh yeah, of course. Well, they still do. When you're think, you're referring specifically to the nitrogenated stout. Okay, yeah. you keep saying. Yeah, that but isn't it like, because that means something? Is it because because <laughs> so, the working class drinks more beer than the upper class? No. Well, I, I think that's I think that's the reason why people assume uh, incorrectly in my mind that wine is fancier than beer. But that's neither here nor there. That's a completely separate conversation. Yeah, I mean that's like another show. That's another show entirely. No. What, so I would say that really the, the debut of Guinness. Draft Stout. There is no beer that is called Guinness, despite the fact that millions of people every order, day go into a bar walk and into say, a bar I'll and have a Guinness. Order, I'll have a Guinness. Exactly. Right. If you come into the bar at our at our brewery, our bartenders have been trained to ask you which one. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the menu behind them, there are 20 beers all brewed by Guinness. It's not as simple as saying I'll have a Guinness. That being said, the pint of Guinness Draft Stout, and when Holly says nitrogenated, most beers in the you world said that it are too, brewed. Just I know. I'm going to explain it for you. Now. Okay, great. Most beers in the world uh, are fully carbonated CO2. It's a gas that occurs naturally during the fermentation process. Brewers will add more of it to give you the the level of carbonation that we're used to as, as drinkers, but they're fully carbonated. We developed the technology at Guinness that allows us to add nitrogen to the beer and Mm -hmm. give you a nitrogenated beer. If you've ever had a beer that's very creamy uh, and it looks like a completely different uh, piece of equipment that pours it from the tap. Mm-hmm. That's a beer that is nitrogenated. It's just called on nitro. That's what you'll hear most often. Right. Well, well is that tight, like nitro the brew? bubbles? The the it's very similar to nitro coffee. Yeah. Right. You get Same the tight bubble, bubbles. You get the the like velvety smooth. Yeah. And, why was yeah. that done in the first place? I mean, why why experiment that way? Well, in the 1950s, gas draft systems essentially identical to what we still deal with today. Pressurized gas draft systems started to become the flavor of the day. They start to proliferate around the world. Prior to that, beer was served out of barrels when you, when you got it at a bar. Mm-hmm. It would be hand-cranked or hand-pumped out of the barrel. Guinness was unique, or, or our beers were unique, because they were served out of two casks. That's what made us sort of uh, um, individuals two, two in the beer world. Two casks at the same time? Well, so the bartender would have a... a, a essentially an aged or a stale keg of Guinness that was below the bar. He would fill the glass about four-fifths of the way full, and then he would have a new, fresh, lively barrel of Guinness that he would top the beer off with, and that would put a very frothy head on the beer that would stay on it the entire time you drank it. When we tried to take our beer and put it into kegs, steel kegs, and push it through a gas draft system, it wasn't doing the same things that it had been doing for 200 years. Which is weird because that was CO2. Right. I know. <laughs> this is the story that they tell you. Okay. What I think is, what I think it, it what I think really kind of uh, lent itself to us developing nitrogenation or forced our hand is that when you pour a beer, just like we have in front of us, a CO2 mm-hmm. beer, the head doesn't stay on the beer very long. No. No matter how fresh it is, no matter how clean the lines are, it, depending on the style of beer, usually the head will go away very quickly. A nitrogenated beer, because of the makeup of the gas inside of the liquid, will retain its head the entire time you drink it. Okay, I have a question. Yeah. Why is that so important to the beer and to the experience of drinking the beer? Because it's very pretty aesthetically. Yeah. And it gives you, um, obviously, you can get an effervescence and you can get a scent. I think you, know, you if just you're, answered your own question. Wait, no, no, no. I understand why you want the head on initially. Like when you poured this beer, there was a lovely little head on it. You can smell. There's a little bit of bubbles. But then when I'm drinking it, I'm not getting a white foam all over my face. Uh, why is it the opposite for this beer? What's the importance of it? Well, I think Ryan can kind of speak to the the official story on that. But I mean, really, it's one of the whenever you're tasting beer and evaluating beer, even as a professional, um, you always evaluate, evaluate it on appearance, mouthfeel, aroma, and flavor. Mm-hmm. And so that head gives you two really unique descriptors and experiences in two of those categories. Um, that you otherwise don't get out of most CO2 beers. 
Okay, I, I mean, I understand that, but why is it so important to the nitro beer? It like, was why do you want it to stay? Why do you want it to stay to the bottom? Yeah, absolutely. It it is. I think it was important to Guinness to the brewery at that point in time because just like now, as we sit here in the U.S., there are about seven thousand breweries in the United States. What mm-hmm. what people want to do more than anything else is make really good beer. But what you also have to do in that same equation, when it is such a crowded place, stand out. You got to stand out. You got to have something that makes you you. Uh, and I think for two hundred years leading up to the development of the of the nitrogenate technology nitrogenation technology it's a we, mouthful it is Can we just call it nitro <laughs> nitro <laughs> thank the, you the nitro technology okay we had something that nobody else in the beer world had we had a beer that had a head on it that would stay the entire time you drank it just by the way we served it and by the way we delivered it to the bars uh, that we served and so i think for for guinness it was important because it allowed us to maintain that uniqueness it allowed us to maintain something uh, that had been a part of our identity and a part of our heritage for 200 years it's why and i think this kind of completes that thought right now if you walk into a pub that really knows how to take care of their guinness draft and they really know how to pour it and you get a bartender that's passionate about it you'll get a perfectly poured pint of guinness draft in two parts that doesn't change the flavor that doesn't change the aroma it doesn't really change the appearance all that much the reason why we ask bartenders to pour our pints in two parts is because before we gave them that beer, you poured it out of two barrels. So every time a bartender takes part in a two-part pour, they are a part of 250 years, 260 years of bartending heritage. Well, and I would bet, given the commitment of so many bartenders right now, you know, with the um, acceleration of mixology mm-hmm. and the commitment to beer in this country, really, in the last 15, 20 years, that there must be a lot of people who are like, I will totally do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the few chances you get at a beer tap to craft something. To craft a classic beer. Exactly. Can we just remind everybody that just joined us, Guinness now has a brewery slash restaurant slash tap room slash museum in Baltimore. It's called the Guinness Open Gate Brewery and Barrel House. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're talking to Ryan Wagner, who's the Guinness Brewery Ambassador, and Holly Stevenson, who is the head brewer. So, okay. So, Guinness moves to the states or can we talk about how guinness wound up being this worldwide brand because it was known as this irish beer Mm -hmm. and uh obviously you've been making we talked off air about all the different places where the beer is produced um but for people who don't understand that or understand the logistics or how that works can you explain it a little bit yeah absolutely as long as we've been brewers almost uh we've been exporters of beer And, you know, again, if you're trying to become the largest brewery in the world, which at one point Guinness was, um, we know for a fact it was in 1886. Uh, If you want to become the largest beer in the world, number one, you've got to have an incredible product. You've got to have a quality beer every single time. But number two, you've got to have the business sense to understand how to get your beer away from just that small area where you're brewing it. And so we would have had different levels of beer, and you can uh, still see it reflected in our beer names. Guinness Draft Stout is one. At 4.2% alcohol, it's one of the lowest alcohol by volume beers out there uh, mass produced number two we have a beer called extra stout and in brewing terms that would have meant that it had a little extra hop care or hop content it would have had a little extra alcohol two natural preservatives in beer with those two things allow you to ship your beer a little bit further and take it farther afield especially when you're talking about uh, the 18th century when you need those natural preservatives this is mm-hmm. before refrigeration right and then we have a beer called foreign extra stout So now we've taken it one level higher, a little more alcohol, a little more hop uh, content. 
And so that was the beer that really allowed us to start taking over the world, to send our beer off of the island of Ireland and into the UK, to send it uh, to the Baltic states, to send it to mainland Europe, to send it to Africa, and eventually all the way to the Far but East. But did a lot of it happen? Did a lot of it follow the, basically the expansion of the British Empire? Uh, I, I, would say that that, I would say that that definitely played a part. Uh, we know that Guinness arrived on American shores for the first time in 1817, so huh. 200 years ago. Okay. Um, a little bit more As in people years, brought it with them just to drink for themselves? No, or that was the first time sold. it was exported. Yeah, that was the first time it was wow. exported to the U.S. was, was in 1817. It was yep. sent to Charleston, South Carolina. The cool thing that I, I think about Guinness's kind of takeover of, of other parts of the world is that they actually bought uh, their own fleet of ships. Yep. So, like decommissioned military ships that were later commandeered and recommissioned for wars, <laughs> like just crazy things, like this, this large fleet of ships, and they would ship beer at the time in barrels. So there was no packaging hall. Like every brewery now, uh, you know, has an on-site can line or keg line. Mm-hmm. So, so he, that we would actually export to packaging companies, um, or the beer would be poured directly out of the barrel, depending on. Where it was you know, going. And where it was going. And but, then at what point did the change to uh, the beer being brewed on location? The first, uh, the first brewery we had outside of Ireland uh, was in the mid-20th century. It was at a, a place called Park Royal, south of London. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nigeria followed, I think, 10 or 12 years after that. Um, and now Guinness is brewed in roughly 50 countries around the world. Guinness beers are brewed in roughly 50 countries. Well, I, well let's stop. Because okay. you would not expect the, the the next place for it to go to be Nigeria. Yeah, That's true. granting that the British Empire, you know, that the Brits were in sure uh, in uh, Nigeria. But I mean the the takeoff of it. We just watched The Crown. That's why we know that. <laughs> <laughs> they had a loving relationship. Um, but but and actually, he had a, he had loving relationships with lots of people. Yes. Um, Prince Charles. Why? I mean, Not what Charles, happened the over guy. there? You know, because clearly the people of Nigeria embraced Guinness as well. Uh, you, I don't think that embrace really tells the story. I mean, I would encourage everybody if uh, you know if you have friends, if you have family, if if you just happen to meet somebody at a bar or, or wherever you might be, and find out that they have some tie to Nigeria, just say the word Guinness. Um, Holly mentioned Let's this talk earlier. Talk to patients. We have a neighbor. Who's yeah, we do. It's, yeah. And and the the passion that they feel for the brand. Um, Holly mentioned it earlier off air. It's their beer. As much as it is ever been Ireland's beer, to the people of Nigeria, to the people of Jamaica, uh, you know, places around the world. And I think it's a testament not only to the beer and how great it is, but also to the dedication that Guinness has to taking care of the communities in which we live and work. Um, the amount of charitable work that, that they do, the, the amount of people that we put to work uh, when we decide to build a brewery like this. I, I think that that plays a part as well because you know, it's, it's just such a, a massive operation to, to make beer. We're also using local uh, agriculture products in most of these places. Well, right? I was just going to ask, so when you go to a place like Nigeria, for example, you're not... Are you creating the? Are you create? Is, is it the same recipes? How does it work when you're brewing in other? Well, where parts do the, the hops world? come from? Where's right. the barley come from? How does it work? Nigerian Guinness is unique to Nigeria. That's uh, the the. Does the, it have a different the taste? The recipe itself is. But yeah, is it it's going to be a little a, different. Is it? It's con- a stout. It is a stout. It is a stout. Okay. It's a, it's a carbon. A CO two stout. Okay. Um. And it's it's is there very only much one nitro? the Nigerian stout. That's right. Is there only one nitro stout? Yep. And that's the one from Ireland. That's, that's Ish. well, so there are many Guinness beers brewed in Ireland, but that's the one that's ubiquitous in the United States. Got it. Okay. From Ireland. Great. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so when you go to these other countries, 
Yeah, so the so the rest of the world identifies with Guinness in a totally different way than we do because mm-hmm. um, because the breweries and the recipes have become so unique to where those breweries sit. And so I think that's, you know, Guinness became a brand that was this nitro stout right. uh, <laughs> that started exporting here. Ryan, you said 69 or 65? Uh, yeah, something, yeah. It, was, it was developed in 1959 in Ireland. It, it came over here five or ten years later. Yeah. So, you know, so that's very deeply like how Americans uh, relate to Guinness. And so I think what we're doing with the production brewery here and with the pilot brewery here. Um, we're hoping to change that. We're, you know, we're making Guinness for the U.S. palate now. But what does that really... I guess my question is, is how, how do you do that? One of the things we hear from, uh, whether it's uh, small craft brewers or winemakers, you know, there's a little bit about making sure things are consistent. Mm-hmm. So obviously what's not happening for Guinness is you don't want me to go to Nigeria and have a Guinness and be like, ah, that's a Guinness. It's Nigerian Guinness, right? Mm-hmm. Like Mexican coke. And they make it clear on the packaging, too. You have a little bit Each of one. On That's why mustache. I have this mustache, man. <laughs> I keep that for later. So my wife knows every drink that I had while I was out. I'm um, still fact-checking Mexican coke, actually. But. Right. No, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah I you do. know they use a different, they use real mm-hmm. sugar, granulated sugar, as opposed to a syrup. Sure, but and they also have their own brand there. So it's not right. it's not as if you're drinking the nitro Guinness in Nigeria and it's brewed differently. Therefore, it's no longer consistent. Mm-hmm. All right, but then that takes us to the mm-hmm. next thing because Guinness brews other brands of beer like Harp, which it's it, all Guinness beer. It's, it's all just Guinness beer. Brands but why, other than nitro why put, stout. Why yeah. put different? No, it's different. Oh, just wait, different names. I can explain this to you. No, why? <laughs> I don't want you to explain it to you. Well, step outside. Because I'm not sure you can spell Guinness. So <laughs> no, 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 no. let's ask I them. Two, two N's, I two never, S's. I never know where the I goes. Two N's, two S's. <laughs> it goes on your beard, dopey. Um, why? I mean, why have different brands? I mean, I understand Procter and Gamble has well, pride. And- so, so here's the thing: it's not a different brand. A- ask, ask any brewery why different beers, because that's basically yeah. what you're asking me. Sorry, yeah, that was kind so of how a- I was. But why about not call beer. it? I'm just curious about the the sure. branding side of it, because I, we, we were talking before the show, and I had a lot of Harp beer in Jamaica, and I thought Harp was a Jamaican beer, but it's Guinness. Yeah. So, does that not cause brand confusion? No, it's, it's Guinness. T- it's Guinness brewed. Yeah, it's basically like it's basically like Coors, yeah. Coors Light, Miller Light, and Miller. I mean, yeah. kind of. I mean, I mean it's, it's but, but wait, wait. So it's, like you know how that's a bad reference. That's a bad well, reference. You, yeah. Let them answer. Okay. They're, the, they're the Guinness. Yeah. People. No, it's more like it's any you know. Pick a local craft brewery. If that's you walk into that local craft, yeah, yeah, local craft brewery, yeah, you'll DC, see a list of Take DC Brow's lineup of their core beers that they produce year round. Right, and that's the that's the same as Guinness making Nitro Draft Extra Stout. I get all Blonde. that, but it's not called Guinness Harp. It's just called Harp. Yeah, but if you That's look, all. If you look on the bottle, you're going to see Guinness. <laughs> and our logo. After is you a have harp. three of them, who no, can no, see no. the bottle? <laughs> and our logo is indeed a harp. Yeah. Yes. Right. right. So there you go. So right. pay attention. So let's move now to the brewery here. Yeah. When did it open? So we we opened in August to the public. We'd been brewing for a couple of months trying to dial in our our blonde on our production system. But we opened to the public in August um, with 15 or 20 uh, pilot brews on site mm-hmm. that, were, that we brewed on site that were served alongside Guinness Draft Stout, Blonde, Guinness Extra Stout, and uh, So those are imported. Stout. Exactly. Okay. So we've got a, at any given time, we've got three or four imports, and the rest of the list of 20 is filled out with 
just beers brewed on our site. And as, well, let's, I mean, I don't feel like we've given either of your histories at all because we just got into it so quickly. How did you wind up being the brewer? Uh, so I, I started my career or I got most of my experience was at Stone Brewing in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started back when craft, Not a bad place to get your was, education. Craft growth was booming. Um, I, was a, I was a total fangirl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of what got me into the industry in the first place. Um, I moved on from there to the oldest and largest North Carolinian brewery. That was Highland Brewing in Asheville. Mm-hmm. Um, another 25-year-old legacy brewery. Uh, just I was the brewmaster there. And that's really where I got my experience uh, developing recipes. So I got all my practice, practical experience in San Diego. And I got my recipe development experience in Asheville. And, yeah, I mean, of all the brewers in the world, what percent? Are women? Are women? Oh, I can't. I don't even know. Five. That's not yeah. a lot. There yeah. are a ton of women in the brewing industry now, but I think most are not on the production. Yeah, side I mean, of things, that's we so. should right. talk about that a little. Yeah. So, what about you? Did you grow up drinking, you know, stealing beers behind the elementary school and? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, no, my background is is uh, is is very odd. I suppose the the circuitous route I took to get here. Um, I have a degree in musical theater. I worked in New York as an actor for a, for a while. Uh, oh, we got a couple, a couple of kids like that. We've yeah. got those. Aww. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, a, did a couple national tours and then went to work for Major League Baseball in New York, hosting a show. Uh, came back to Baltimore where I, I was born and raised, and uh, been working for the Orioles ever since. And every out of work actor is oh, a working bartender right. and vice yeah, versa. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, that's interesting because one of our sons did acting at Ithaca College, and now he's a uh, well-known mixologist. There you go. I'm telling you, every out-of-work actor is a working bartender and vice versa. (laughs) So when people ask me how I knew about beer, I was like, well, because I had to pay my bills. Are you still calling those games? I do, yeah. Cool. part-time during the season. That is awesome. I'm not using my degree either. Yeah, no. I I kind of grew up here in in D.C. uh, in school and was a lobbyist for six years. That was my first career. You know, (laughs) Actually, for both of you... I. And I feel this way about our son who's in the industry as well. I mean, we all take what we've learned in college, whether it's acting or lobbying, right? We're still trying to have people hear us and present ourselves to them. I mean, you're, you're selling a concept, Absolutely. right? Yeah. You know, I'm a rocket scientist, but I just right. prefer to do this. <laughs> more fun. A, he just does this for Can't kids. you tell? By, <laughs> by the way, before we move on. Uh, you guys have a different beer in front yes, of you. Yes, so let's talk have, about that what before Holly we tell you what that is. This is this is literally uh, the first beer that we brewed when we opened up our even our temporary tap room a year and a half ago. Mm. Um, this is the Guinness IPA. It's really lovely. What are we Thank looking you. for in it? Let's talk about it. All right, so it's super hoppy. Mm-hmm. I use a lot of um, my some of my favorite hops. Yeah, I mean it's, yeah. it's the first mm-hmm. hit you get. It's, is it it's very than the tropical, blonde. very tropical notes. So hoppy, not meaning super bitter. This I was just going to say, but it's not IPA. bitter. I think a lot of people yeah. hear hoppy and Absolutely. think it's going to be like. Oh, yeah, I a lot of that. people drink this, and because of the the really like pop of flavor and aroma, that's very fruity and tropical. Um, of, they're yeah, like, oh, I didn't think I liked IPAs because they just associate it with bitterness. Isn't that fun? Well. IPA to me is um, like California Chardonnays. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think for a while everybody was doing California Chardonnays to be super buttery, super yellow. And so there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I hate California Chardonnay. But it's the same thing with IPA. I feel like a lot of IPAs were sort of built to be super, super bitter. Yep. So, but really good ones aren't necessarily bitter. Let me ask you a question because I, I am the beer drinker in the house. And <laughs> I, um, it's true. I like very hoppy beers. Do you talk about uh, with your you know your sort of different beer profiles pairings? I mean, what would be good with this beer, and what would be good with this beer? You know, fishier. you mean as she's creating? No, that? no, but I mean, is there? Do you spend time sort of market as part of the marketing? 
uh, to to talk about pairings, whether you're selling it to restaurants or whether you're selling to consumers. Yeah, I think Ryan gets to do a lot of that kind of with the Guinness core brands. Um, you know, we haven't gotten a lot of our pilot breweries out into the market yet, and that's one thing that I'm very excited to do locally because uh, I absolutely love working with chefs. I, I love cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the, the, any time I get a chance to... Uh, to work with a chef. I, I love doing that sort of thing. Well, why don't we take a quick quick break? And then is it time? yeah, it's time. Wow. So we're gonna take a quick break fast. and we come back, we're gonna try some more beers. No, we're from gonna try Guinness. some while we're away too. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna get a little bit more about what's going on out of Baltimore. This is David and Nikki Nellis. We're at the very fabulous Line Hotel. Oh, yeah. And uh, we'll be back in just a sec. We're back on Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast, David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Ryan Wagner and Holly Stevenson from the new Guinness Open Gate Brewery and Barrel House in Baltimore. It's a restaurant. It's a brewery. It's a tap room. It's a museum. And uh, I just have to say, we're going to talk about a couple of things, but Ryan also is the guy that announces the O's games. It must get depressing because they're oh, so bad. Oh, come on, man. That's not nice. I had a good run. I, you know, I had, what, five you're, years in a row? Not pl- you're not playing. 
<laughs> You're just announcing. I mean, I, well, it's still. I mean, I will I mean, say. Do they ever win? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. The 162 okay. games. Guy, everybody wins at least everybody, 40 of them. Yeah, everybody wins. <laughs> the All bonus right. for me is I, I walk there in 10 minutes from my house, and Ryan gets me on the jumbotron whenever yeah, I want. Well, that's uh, whenever nice. she wants, <laughs> which is nice. literally every time she comes. <laughs> I usually <laughs> ask about the fourth inning. We're yes, gonna, we're going to go down. I want to get on the kiss cam. Okay. okay. So we were talking during the break because my. First, second, forty-fifth experiences with Guinness were really with the Guinness Stout, and I made the comment that it's it's thick and it's like drinking it's like drinking liquid meat, and you took umbrage at my. Yeah, I did. did. I did. I kind of I kind of shook my head. Now, a bit. umbrage is probably a big word for our okay, audience. Okay, let's but go. Took it. <laughs> took, took issue with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's again. I, I said earlier, I spent half my life dispelling myths, and that's a big one. Oh, right? myth! And, and when you say Guinness Stout, you're talking about Guinness Draft Stout again, the nitrogenated uh, stout that we make in Dublin. Um, it is not thick. It's not heavy. The the head that is formed by the nitrogenation process, by the fact that nitrogen is in that beer, is very thick, and and is very it it sits very heavy on that on top of that pint. But if you get to the liquid underneath, if you get to the beer beneath that head, it's actually very light. It's All very right. Thin so how body. many carbs, how many calories in a in uh, one of those in a pints? twelve? Well, in a twelve ounce serving, there's about hundred twenty five calories. And how many carbs? See, uh, I think it's nine. Is it really? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, now, low alcohol. Low alcohol. Low alcohol at four point two. Low CO two. So you, you get you actually kind of less full because it has the nitrate. Nitri- right. So that's why all the little kids in the pubs are drinking it. Because they're not going to get schlocked. As an official member of the Guinness family, I will tell you that uh, we we do not advocate for the serving of beer to anyone under 21 here in this country. <laughs> no, 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 not here. I'm <laughs> sitting around in the pubs with all those families. They're all drinking it. Um, all right. So, so, so that's one myth that's good to dispel. Yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. Right. Okay. So we sort of mentioned several times the new brewery here. Can we talk about, we've mentioned it's a restaurant, it's a museum, it's a brewery, it's a tap room. It's a toothbrush. Right. It's a I feel like there's bleed. a lot going on here. So can we sort of take that apart and talk about each component? Um, we talked a little bit, Holly, with you about the brewery itself, but can we talk about what you're doing there and what's happening? Yeah. So we have the production brewery on site, uh, which if you put it into... If, size-wise, if you put it into kind of the top 100 craft breweries in the U.S., it'd probably only be in the 80s or 70s. Okay. So it's really not that big. It's mm-hmm. it's much less than half the size of what I worked on at Stone. So it leaves us enough uh, enough space to brew things for the, nationally, but to also be really flexible for what's coming off of our pilot system. So the pilot system uh, is over in our, in our tap room. Below our tap room is the bottom floor. And that's where we're really able to experiment, make fun stuff that... That we want to drink. So that's in much smaller batches, right? Much smaller. Yeah, it's yeah, it's in twenty barrel batches. So we're mm-hmm. making about 40, 30, 40 kegs per batch on that. Okay. Um. So so that the tap room gives us a chance to just some of the beers we don't have to worry about if they're ever going to scale up. It's because we want to drink them. It's because we want to balance the list in the tap room so there's something for everyone. But some of them are very specifically R and D beers that w- that could become the next national beer for Guinness in the U S. And how? What's the process for that? Mean or is it submitted to corporate? How does it? How does that happen? Thank you. Um, I I really kind of get to just think about it, and <laughs> I run it by a couple of people, and I order some ingredients. No, but let's say no. no. So let's say so, you make- no, it's a much more formal process when you're when you're talking about going from um, 
from the pilot scale to regional to national, uh, a lot more resources are involved. And, and Dublin is involved um, all along the way. We talk at least a couple times a month about what they're doing in their pilot brewery, what we're doing in ours, compare notes. But by and how large, many, corporate many, is giving us free reign to make How many pilot really breweries cool are there? Uh, so currently it's just ours and the one in Dublin, the okay, open so, gate in Dublin. So you're the only two that are coming up with New concoctions. That's right. Okay. So then you do one and you're like, I love this. Mm-hmm. I think this has legs. How do, So do they take it in and think, oh, maybe we should launch this national or maybe this is some, how does that work? What's yeah, the process? We're in the process of that right now with three beers. So um, as you can exciting. imagine. Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, but you can imagine it, it, you know, we're dealing with uh, the Guinness Global brand, we're dealing with the brand team here that would actually be responsible for launching the beer. The sales team here, it's very hard to bring a beer to Where market are nationally. Are they here in this area or are they in New York? Or? We have some uh, local people, but the kind of the, the project teams are in Connecticut and New York. Well, one of the things we sort of mentioned off air is Diageo because there's, um, I thought erroneously that Diageo bought Guinness. Yeah. But uh, fortunately, Ryan to take umbrage again. <laughs> a lot of umbraging over that's, there. That's all, that's all I do. I just no. I get horrified every five minutes of my day. <laughs> but you know, you're going to need to be nitrofied or whatever. <laughs> I will. Yeah, <laughs> just so I sit lighter on my own stomach. But you know, I think when you have a company as old as Guinness, there's a lot of myths. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is definitely one of them. So uh, you told me a fascinating story earlier. I'd love to share it. It's, it's not so much a story as it is, uh, in my opinion, an important distinction. I, right. And, I, and I, I understand, you know, when people look at Guinness, it's hard to, to not recognize the fact that we are a global brand. We mm-hmm. are somebody that, you know, I mentioned this earlier, served in 180 countries, brewed in 50. Um, it's a massive, massive company. Um, that being said, when someone says, well, Guinness is owned by Diageo or Guinness sold out to Diageo or Guinness, you know, however they phrase it, um, Guinness created Diageo. Guinness was one half of uh, two companies that came together, Guinness on one side and a company called Grand Metropolitan on the other, uh, to form a new company around them, sort of an umbrella uh, around those two because both wanted to be a part of what the other was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was really a, a venture between two companies. So Guinness did not sell out to anybody. Guinness was not bought by anybody. Guinness created a company. Okay. And are there other breweries under that, or is it just Guinness? Nope, there are not. Yeah, Guinness Guinness is the only brewery. Uh, but again, as, as we talked about earlier, uh, we make a lot of different brands, just like any, any other brewery around right. the world. Right, right, right. Well, I think what's interesting is that while you make other brands like david said the misconception is is that people don't really realize it's under the guinness brand. that it's all guinness yeah, right yeah. that it's all guinness so it's, it's also or- kind of industry speak like just talking about just another beer as a different brand it's i mean it's just just <laughs> another beer in your portfolio right so right? Yeah, but, you know, another, yes. yeah. it's another it's another label i guess would be the, it, it's yeah. it, it's still a guinness if you look on a, a label for smithix or harp or kilkenny or guinness extra stout or foreign extra stout mm-hmm. there are certain things that you will see across all of them You'll see that it's brewed at St. James's Gate in Dublin. You'll see that it's brewed by the Guinness uh, Limit. You know, you, you'll, you'll see all of these things that associate it with Guinness as a brewer. Mm-hmm. So I think the misconception, again, when you get as big as Guinness is, we, for a lot of people, we lose the moniker of being a brewer. And I think that's a shame because we are brewers. The brewers in Dublin are doing amazing things every day. I mean, Holly and her team here in Baltimore are making some of the best beer I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it all under... The An Guinness umbrella. name, yes, but Guinness is a brewery. That's what we are. 
Uh, and we're one of the few breweries in the world that when you walk into a bar, you order a beer using our brewery name. That is, that's really unique. Yes, it is. Um, so it's, it, it's a tough, it's a challenge to get people to think differently about it. And I think that that's what Holly and her team do every day for us. Well, it, I think you, what you're saying is uh, 100% correct. And now people can go to this brewery. They can go to the tap room. Now, do you do tours? How does it work? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, yeah so we offer tours every day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's tough to get a spot on one. I will say that. Uh, go online. It's uh, GuinnessBreweryBaltimore.com. All the information is there. The mm-hmm. tours take about an hour. Uh, you can choose to finish it with a guided tasting with one of our experts. They'll take you through four beers, mm-hmm. uh, some of which are cutting edge and brand new for us at the brewery. Uh, and it, it's a really great look into not only Guinness history, but also our history in Baltimore and the site that we're built on in Baltimore, because um, that site has a, a history in the spirits industry and in the alcohol industry dating back to 1933. Well, tell us a little bit about it. I, <laughs> it was founded in 1933 as Maryland Distilling. Uh, it was one of the first legal distilleries following the repeal of Prohibition that year. Uh, and um, throughout its history, it became a, known by a couple of different names. It was Maryland Distilling. It was Calvert Whiskey, a brand that a lot of people in this part of the world are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, it became Seagram's. Uh, Seagram's was acquired by Diageo, by the larger corporation, uh, in 2001, and that's how it came into into our purview. Um, but one thing that we, I, I don't think we talk about often enough, uh, when Guinness decided to build the brewery, beer has never been made on that site prior to Holly and her team coming in. Um, and, you know, thanks to uh, diversification, thanks to different parts of the process being moved off-site, uh, when Guinness decided to build the brewery there in 2017, um, there weren't many full-time jobs left on that site, to be perfectly honest. And now we're looking at a, a time where we're almost up to 300 full-time jobs. I was going to ask you how many people. Yeah. You, that's it's, great. it's a massive, massive number. So even aside from just the, the financial investment in getting the place built, mm-hmm. um, the amount of people that we're putting to work, and, and uh, we still manage to maintain the building that the main consumer experience is in, uh, where the 10-barrel brewery is, where the restaurant is. Uh, it's a 90-year-old structure. It's a, it, it was a rick house built in the 19, uh, late 1930s, early 1940s uh, that we maintain the aesthetic of. The original floors are still in there. The original concrete pillars are still in there. And we see people sounds coming. Like sounds our like our a house. shitty house. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so how many people roll through there every week? Uh, uh, some weeks more than others. Uh, since we opened up our doors August 3rd, August 3rd till now, we're over 180,000 people. Wow. And... So, Oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say, are you partnering with other Baltimore, like Under Armour would come to mind, other businesses that are prominent in the area to do promotions? Not really promotions. I mean, we've hosted a couple of, of companies that have decided to hold corporate events there. I mean, that the flexibility of that space does allow us to, to the, the Well, I kind of wanted to talk about that. So you have a restaurant. We do. What is it? And what are you serving there? And how does it work with the tap room? I bet they're serving beer. Okay. We do. We, yes. we serve a beer or two every now and again. <laughs> um, we, uh, we serve a full menu. And, and I think part of the... Uh, Part of the conversation when we were putting that restaurant in place was, again, as, as Holly has said, uh, has put so articulately, changing the conversation, right? Changing the mm-hmm. viewpoint that people have about Guinness. And so we have people that every once in a while will come in expecting to see a menu that's shepherd's pie, fish and chips, uh, oh, a they Reuben. think it's going to be like an Irish pub. They, they're, yeah, they're absolutely expecting to walk into an Irish pub. And instead, they're seeing things like tuna poke and a duck confit flatbread and... Um, rockfish with a uh, tarragon meringue on top. I mean, we're it sounds very Irish. <laughs> incredibly Irish. Nothing, yeah, nothing more Irish than a than a duck confit flatbread with saffron. Right. <laughs> it would be ordered in duck okay, confit with your Now, Just you don't now in that same vein, we have the Guinness stew that's served at the storehouse in Dublin. Okay, you know, we have the brown bread recipe that's used in Dublin as well. We don't want to. Um, we're never going to ignore our heritage. We're of never going to ignore our history. But we do want to use. Uh, that restaurant to really, again, talk about pairing food with beer, how, uh, how flexible beer can be and how it can work across different palates and different cuisines. Who's mm-hmm. the chef? 
Uh, we his name is Chef Kevin. Chef Kevin. Chef Kevin and Chef Cameron. Um, okay, so you have a full fledged restaurant, we do. brunch, lunch, dinner. How's it serving? Uh, we are getting ready to kick off brunch actually. Yeah, okay. kicked it off on New Year's, bud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just as a practice and run. Lunch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's only open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The restaurant is okay. The tap room, the tours, all that stuff runs seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Restaurant and the tap room is, serves a limited menu as well. Yeah, oh. should, yeah. The tap snacks. room serves snacks, handheld sandwiches, those kind of things. Okay. Um, and then the restaurant's open uh, three to nine on Thursday, uh, three to ten on Friday, eleven to ten on Saturday, and eleven to nine on Sunday. Okay. And what about this museum that we keep hearing about? It's not really a museum. When I say a museum, you said just, it. I know, but museum elements is. No, I'm museum. taking umbrage. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> Take umbrage. I'm, ta- I'm going uh, to. There, there are a lot of historic, a lot of historic elements to the building there are a lot of artifacts that we brought over from Dublin artifacts that we preserved in the in the course of renovating the building in Baltimore uh, so we wanted to give people a little bit of the Guinness story a little bit of the Baltimore story and why we decided to build the brewery here in Baltimore uh, and also take them through our brewery talk about the beer brewing process talk about the ingredients that are involved in that process uh, and give them a look at the real um, uh, the real magic workers at Guinness. Um, they get up close and personal with our with our brewery, with the equipment. Uh, see if you're there at the right time. You see the brewers in there uh, working hard, doing what they do. Uh, so it's it's a really uh, it's a really cool thing we've built there because it takes you back 260 years to the signing of that lease and brings you up to really the cutting edge of what's happening right now. Um, so how long does it take to go through the music like that part through that of that tour? It? Yeah, yeah. The, to- the tour is about an hour long. Okay, uh, and then the tasting takes typically 15 to 20 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, but you get to try four beers. And then are you able to buy, purchase beer there and bring it home? Yes. Uh, so we not, have, you know, there was like an issue for a while about stuff like that. Yeah. So currently you can take home growlers mm-hmm. uh, and you can take home blonde. Okay. So one of the things it's canned. I'm, right. One of the things I'm we'll most home excited about. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited because we have a, a very tiny uh, can line that we're actually commissioning this week so that, once or twice a month, we'll be able to have just a handful of cases of really cool beer that otherwise would never make it to the market um, that we'll be able to, to sell. And if you don't mind room. me asking, canned versus bottle, growlers, like what's your preferred method? <laughs> um, I mean, well, so growlers is totally different because it's a temporary package. Right? right. Like you're not supposed to keep that for very long. I mean, cans and bottles, it, it really doesn't matter to me because it, it all boils down to package quality and you can get equally good quality in either package if you just take the time to dial in your, your packaging. I'm going to mm-hmm. change the subject a little. Okay. Because there's something called the Guinness Book of World Records. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's a guy named uh, Sir Hugh Beaver. Sir Hugh Beaver, yeah. <laughs> he was nice. Now, Which, just for the record, David did not know that before No, I knew that. You. <laughs> I, I, I grew up knowing that. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but let's talk about that because, because I thought it was a coincidence that there was Guinness beer and Guinness Book of World Records, but they're, most but they're all never, related. Yeah. Most they people no never, never do the math on Tell that us one. the story. Yeah, in the 1950s, uh, the, uh, the, the chairman of Guinness, the, guy that, the managing director, I should say, uh, Sir Hugh Beaver, um, great name, uh, <laughs> just a, you know, an iconic guy in, in the history of Guinness, and his biggest contribution really had nothing to do with beer. He went to a, what did I say it was? I just looked at it, it was a shooting party? A shooting party. Yeah, whatever that yes. is. It sounds terrifying. Uh, but while they're out there we hunting. Well, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Dick Cheney was probably not there. Uh, so yeah, it's well, okay. Sir Hugh Beaver, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so he, he goes out with a couple of buddies. They go hunting, and, and they, had, they get into a conversation. They launch into this discussion about what the fastest game bird is in Europe. 
And nobody knows the answer. They argue back and forth about what it might be. I said earlier, it's very Monty Python. <laughs> and so they go back and forth, and they can't find it in any reference text either. So Hugh Beaver makes it back to the brewery, calls in a couple of lackeys, calls in a couple of the younger guys, and says, look, I'm tired of this. We're never going to have these arguments again. I want you to go out. I want you to talk to whoever the expert is, find out who the, what the fastest game bird is. And while you're at it, get a bunch of other facts so that whenever we have these arguments, we'll know where to look. And the, uh, the original the, Google. The Guinness Book of World Records is born. Yeah, in many ways. Yeah. And then still... the Irish pub got more boring. Because <laughs> <laughs> back that, then you used to have something to, yeah, you used to, have something to talk how, about every time But that's how trivia night started, right? <laughs> Any pub in Ireland, just walk in before you order beers. Does anybody know what the fastest game bird is? See what happens. Oh my God, that's so uh, Yeah, they still make them. They, they still, do. Yeah, I have a buddy that... I had uh, one. I mean, it was, I bought it years ago, but... Oh, uh, I thought you, you actually... An Irish game bird? Yes. A, 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 no, not an Irish game The fastest Irish game bird. I'm the comedian here, damn it. No, but... I mean, the book is fascinating because, yeah. uh, I, you know, I don't think Minute Bull was the tallest human being on the planet, but I mean, it had all these unbelievable. Yeah, you know, they the still, sh- they're still developing new ones now. I, I have a friend, uh, acquaintance, I should say. We don't really hang out <laughs> once you hear this. He has the world record for the most uh, highest number of mouse traps snapped onto his own tongue in a minute. That's something to brag about. It is, yeah. That's that's uh, that's my. That's the, Can't that wait leaves, to pull that one out in my next bar fight. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that, that leaves me speechless. Do you right? happen to know how? Oh, that was terrible. That was oh, terrible. I'm just giving it. I was giving it a little lip service. That's okay. All. That's enough. Real quick, another beer. Uh, we yes. just poured another one for you. Tell us about it, please. Oh, yeah. So this is the Milk Stout. So this one is one of the ones that we're working on for National, this actually. This is yummy. Yeah. So Milk Stout. It gets the name because we actually use lactose, so milk sugar in the beer to leave residual sweetness so the yeast doesn't eat the, the milk sugar but it's it stays not, in there but it's not sweet I think no it's not no, going there's like a that. sweet yeah. aftertaste to it right compared to, to other beer yeah right but you know I think some people hear sweet and they're like oh I don't like sweet beers or I don't like sweet drinks right yeah no it's not sweet like a like a cocktail with juice or like a part right. of wine it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a subtle sweetness yeah alright can I ask you a question last question here because I hate sour beers and our son who's the mixologist who actually Worked for Greg Engert for years and learned learned his beers first. Loves sour beers and will show up with you know you you got to try this one. You're gonna love. I this I feel one. like well, sour beers are to brew makers what Riesling is to Psalms. You know, like every Psalm loves a Riesling, and I feel like people in the beer industry all love sour beers. Like what is that? Yeah, that's fair to say. I mean, it's it's a totally different art form to create a sour beer. Uh, so I, th- I think so? that's what really goes into it. I mean, you're balancing you're balancing wild yeast, you're balancing bacteria, you're you're looking at titratable acidity versus pH, and all of these crazy things. And trying, you know, these are often. Um, Items that can give you really disgusting flavors in beer if you don't control Amen, them. sister. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's just, it's very much more a, a, a challenge than just, than, I mean, there, there's a challenge in itself in creating a very clean beer with brewer's yeast because you have to be perfect. Um, mm-hmm. But but with sour beer, it's, a, it's just, a, there are a lot of different other, See, uh, I, I, maybe my thing other is, because I don't drink, I don't just sit and drink beer. I drink beer with something to eat, you know, and I make it that and my our kid will sit and drink three or four of these sour beers and i can't it's like but i guess yeah, what you're saying beer. is that you like the complexity i love the complexity and i think uh, actually so happens that sour beer is kind of a gateway form of beer drinking for a lot of uh, marijuana wine, drink, oh, wine drinkers wine, okay. that think that they aren't beer drinkers tend to kind of enter through because the, it's a little more sour. whiny mm-hmm. i totally get that now so we talked earlier about uh you're doing all these different beers there what are some of the ones that you're most excited about that people can come and taste? Oh, man. So, we, I mean, we always keep uh, something with 
one or two beers with super weird non-traditional beer ingredients on tap um so that's that's like always seasonal, fun. like saisons um more like i mean our beers really only last for about a month once mm-hmm. we put them on so just different fruits or spices or different yeast strains yeah uh, but you know i i'm a hoppy beer lover so um we've had the a full range of different ipas i, I really like the old school i like black ipa red ipa all the kinds of ipa hazy ipa so we we always keep a bunch of those on um and then you know i mean we have I mean, we are a, we are known for being a multi brewery, so we've really been exploring uh, in the in the stout category. So you know, you just have one of them, right? All right, I've got one last question because we're, we're well, done. we could still yeah, do, because you are in the minority as a woman brewer. Do the boys give you shit or <laughs> no? <laughs> I have a great staff. Um, the I don't industry, mean those boys. I mean no, the, in the industry. The industry is kind to me. I mean, it was it was definitely harder when I was first entering. Kind of before I really had any brewing chops, as I was trying to fill out my resume, mm-hmm. um, it was it was kind of harder to start a conversation. But I think the industry has changed a lot. There are definitely more women in it now, and I definitely have kind of built up credibility. Um, I was as we were talking about earlier, though. It it, it just it never fails. There is one type of person that comes into the brewery that I always struggle with and it always happens to be salesmen. Um, not every salesman, hey, but it's you, always baby. a salesman. <laughs> what do you, you mean? Know? Like, like in what capacity? If there's if there's a man within earshot of me, that that's the person that's being spoken to rather than... So oh, do you think yeah. a yes. woman brews a different beer than a... Uh, with Thank the you. same ingredients, is there a different head Absolutely to it? Absolutely not. No? No. No, because no, it's all about palate. Yeah. You're yeah. looking for something specific. Yeah. Yeah, well, since this is a podcast, Ooh. I guess um, my vagina doesn't tell me what to brew. <laughs> well, let me tell you what my vagina tells me. Um, one, is, yeah, one more beer for one you more from beer. Holly. All right, so well, I, I don't I, know if she should get another beer. <laughs> I brought this one specifically because um, it's kind of it, it's one of the good examples of some of the collaboration that we're doing. It's coffee? With, yes, it's coffee. So from Vent Coffee Roasters, it's actually it. a woman-owned. Um, and and uh, master uh, coffee roaster is the woman. Um, they just opened up. Oh my up. god, that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. this wow. is a Colombian pea berry that Ooh. I think they had roasted for the first time and um, got our hands on some. That's and, delicious. Yeah, it's a nice low alcohol beer that it drinks like cold brew to me. It totally drinks yeah. like cold brew. It's delicious. Yeah. yeah, and this I mean this beer to me really speaks to what you can create when two artisans go to work together. Absolutely. Uh, because Sarah at Vent is is absolutely amazing at what she does. Holly and the team in Baltimore are, are incredible brewers, obviously. And so when you get those two working together, um, sky's the limit. I mean, we're you know, excited well, to work with somebody local in Baltimore. I was going to say, I'm really excited to see because there's so many terrific artisans in and around uh, the Baltimore area. I feel like there's so many yeah, we've collabs worked, that we've you worked can do. With local hop farmers, uh, local maltsters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we have a cross, Crossland series, which you'll... Um, if you ever come out to the brewery, we try to keep one on all the time, but there's at least one new one quarterly that's brewed with uh, local ingredients. Apex Honey, they're three miles from the brewery. Like Some of their bees have probably hung out on our trees and Isn't flowers. Well, they, <laughs> when, when we released the honey ale that was brewed using their honey, they brought bees with them. They brought a, a hive yeah. with them, and it was on display inside the brewery. As you were trying the beer, you could... See, see where the, the honey, honey is from. Made, I yeah. love that. That's so cool. cool. Um, after the show, I'm going to tell you about somebody else who you guys should totally be in touch with, Great. who I think makes sense. They're so right where is this place? Let's talk about the actual physical address and where you are online so people can find you. Yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> GuinnessBreweryBaltimore.com. If you just search Guinness Baltimore, you're going to find it. I think that's what most people do these days anyway. Just Google Guinness Baltimore. Uh, it's 5001 Washington Boulevard, uh, just a few miles south of the Baltimore city limits. Uh, but the good news is for people in D.C., you, it's on the way. Uh, so it's we got here today in 
45 minutes. Is there signage? Yeah. Is there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once you're close, we have on top of the building, which is five stories high, you'll see big Hollywood letters that say Guinness. Yeah. Uh, and it's, um, I mean, if you head 95 north and then take 195 towards BWI, we're the first exit and we're right on the corner. We're right five there. minutes from us. BWI, so yeah. we're, oh, the, cool. we're the cell phone lock. Yeah. <laughs> we're basically, yeah, we are basically the cell phone lock. A lot of pilots in the tap room. Keep an eye out for I got to make my flight. Pilot discount. Well, we want to thank you both so much for coming in. That was such an education. And thank you, too, for pouring all these fabulous uh, beers. And everybody should absolutely head out. Check out the tap room. Check out the restaurant. Clearly go see the museum. And, uh, you know, ask for Holly. And Ryan, are you at the brewery? A lot. Because I feel like yeah, you are, like, enough. the person to take as a personal guide. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you happen to see, I mean, the great, and again, what I love about our brewery um, these guys are brewers. They are. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, we remind people that all the time. But chances are, if you come in after a day of work and you're stopping in for a beer, if you look around for the people that uh, seem to be covered in hop residue and look a little rough around the They're edges, of it. Sean Brennan, for instance, if he's in the hop, yeah, you see guys wearing a bunch of harps on them. What a great them. name for Squirrel a, a beard. brewer of yeah. Irish beer is Sean Brennan. Uh, he's got a big fire engine red beard, too. Cool. I mean, the guys. I mean, they're they're all incredible. They all hang out, um, and and these guys they love their beer. They care about the beer, and more than that, they they care about the people that come in and enjoy it. Because I love that. I mean, I can't speak for you, Ali, but I I know from my point of view, and I don't I don't make the beer like these guys do. There's nothing better than see, sitting in the tap room and seeing people talk about the beer and enjoy the beer, um, and really to again change their minds to change their understanding of what Guinness is. Excellent. All right. Well, we want to thank you both for coming in, bringing all these beers, and giving us such an incredible. Education. We should mention that they're going to be on our Foodie and the Beast broadcast show coming up too. Yes. When is that? What day? Uh, twenty seventh, January twenty seventh. January twenty seventh. So we'll be doing it all over again. Fifteen hundred a.m. at eleven o'clock in the morning on yes. a Sunday. These guys will be bleary eyed. Is brunch served? Yeah, we always there's it's wait. Always this this is a food. totally different show. Can I have bottomless mimosas? Yeah, no, you're going to be pouring beer. No, you're a beer brewer. You're going to be bringing in the coffee. Between now and January 27th, Holly is going to be developing a mimosa beer that she's bringing with her. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, before we end the show today, I do want to tell everybody about a huge event that is taking place, and it's sort of multi-pronged. So we are doing some work with the Culinary Trailblazers behind Sous Vide Cooking. It is Cuisine Solutions, and they are inviting everybody to celebrate International Sous Vide Day. I bet it's January 26th. Okay, it? Uh, it is, and it's at the Embassy of France. So this is going to be a gorgeous cocktail hour followed by a multi-course, uh, a four-course dinner, all um, inclusive with beautiful wines and cocktails. It's only $100 per person. And for the sous vide enthusiast, you have until Friday, the 17th, you can enter to win a trip to Paris uh, for two, airfare, hotel, and other sous vide-related prizes by entering a sous vide recipe. Well, we're going to be emceeing that event. Is there any chance that you want to send the MCs along to help these people I, find their I, way through the streets I have recommended that to them, uh, but they have yet to say that our trip to Paris is in play. Rats. Having said that, if you are an amateur cook and you love to sous vide, uh, this is your moment to be the next sous vide tastemaker and win this trip to Paris. Uh, or if you just love sous vide cooking and the chefs who do it, Absolutely. I've been out to uh, Culinary Solutions, their laboratory. It's the most incredible place I've ever been in. And what they are doing with food is amazing. So They're going to be on our show January 20th, right? Yes, we're doing it. Well, we did an entire show on Industry Night here, but they'll be on Foodie and the Beast next right. week. Um, but 
uh, it's an it's an amazing dinner, and I urge all of you. There's only I think 30 tickets left, so um, please come and join us. It's going to be a ton of fun. Operators are on duty now. Okay, uh, and for that, uh, you should please go to uh, culinarysolutions.com or internationalsousvide.com. Uh, so once again, we want to thank uh, everybody who joined us today in studio. It was a true joy having you and such an education. Uh, this is Nikki and David Nellis for Industry Night with Foodie and the Beast. Um, have a delicious week. And go Orioles. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.